The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by a guest speaker. The statements, views, and opinions presented in this message are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. That's online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. It's my delight to introduce our morning devotion speaker, Uh, The Reverend Mark Lauterbach has been a pastor now for 35 years. His current pastorate, he's one of the pastors of North City Presbyterian Church down in Poway. Uh, He's been married to Rhonda for 38 years, has children and many grandchildren. Uh, But we're delighted that he's a local pastor here who's willing to not only take classes with us, but also share some of his wisdom from the Word of God. So please come and bring our devotions. Good morning. Good to see you all. Some of you I know, some of you I don't. I'm glad that North City interns are here as they were required to be. Um, Great to be with you and thanks Julius for the invitation. Um, I jumped at the opportunity to be on campus. You see uh, Westminster Seminary has played a crucial role in my life in the last few years. Uh, I came here two years ago in a sabbatical year to take some time to study. Uh, to nail down a few loose boards in my life and in my convictions after 30 years of ministry and uh, thoroughly enjoyed a year of classes as a visiting student, a very pivotal, pivotal time in our lives, and out of that ended up transferring my ordination into the PCA, um, but just loved my days in classes here. Uh, and I say that as a guy with years of experience, just feasting on the opportunity to come and rethink and reconsider and learn more deeply. Now, I'm aware that there's a particular season in the life of you as students right now that uh, finals and papers are upon you, uh, or the early stages of the flood are, and uh, you're probably spending extra hours in the library and, and up late nights, maybe involved in study groups, And a few of you are graduating and wondering, is there any hope beyond May 26th or whatever it is this year? Uh, And you're zoomed in and you're focused on what's before you. Well, what we all need under those seasons of pressure is some perspective. Um, We need to zoom out like you do in a Google map. Uh, you, can, you can get down to the street level of the Google map and look, have that little guy look around and show you all that amazing stuff they can do with Google, but sometimes you need to pull out and get perspective on what you're in the middle of. And this morning, I just want to offer a few thoughts from Luke 22 on what God is doing in your life as future ministers of the gospel, future faithful members of the church, Uh, What God is about as he prepares you uh, that even goes beyond uh, the learning of languages and systematic theology and church history. So Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to be. It's Luke's account of the last hours of Jesus' life as he heads to the cross. He he is completing the work of preparing the twelve, soon to be the eleven. He has set himself to the work of the cross. Luke has, from chapter 9 all the way to this point, Jesus set his face to Jerusalem, 
Uh, the Lucan journey, the journey to Jerusalem, is an extended narrative that brings us to this time, Luke 22. He is preparing his disciples for his departure. Uh, Luke fills us in on some details the other gospel writers don't give us. Um, he tells us, verse 15, Jesus says to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. There's a, a desire, a yearning of Jesus to be with them in this time. He says, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Luke, Luke gives us some insight into what's going on and what Jesus is saying and thinking and feeling in this time. He's clear about the new covenant, uh, distinctly so of all the gospels. Verse 20, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The Lord of glory is about to give his life for the church which he has loved. Now you would expect, first time reader of the Gospels, perhaps that when you get to this point in the narrative, you've got all systems go. Uh, disciples prepared, check. Sacrament instituted, check. Path of obedience to the cross laid out, check. Everything as planned, except Luke tells us more about what happens right after the institution of the supper than any of the gospel writers do. Verse 22, he does what the others do. He says, one of you will betray me. Jesus announces that there is a betrayer at the table in that moment. And then in verse 24, a fight breaks out. I, I don't know what else to call it. A dispute arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Now, that should shake you a little bit. The Lord of glory is about to lay down his life for his people, the church, and seal the new covenant with his blood, and his disciples end up in an argument about who's the greatest. We, we have problems here. We have major problems here. And I, th I think it, these are Middle Easterners, and so it's probably more likely that this was not a quiet argument. Uh, this was a loud disruption to the situation. And in, in, in grace and in mercy and in patience, Jesus responds to these men with beauty and clarity, talks about the nature of greatness in the kingdom of God reminds them of his example as one who does not rule by telling people what to do, but rules by serving and laying down his life for them. And all that sets us up for the section I wanna look at today. Because verse 31, Jesus turns to Simon and speaks to him personally. It's an, inter it's an interesting phrase, an interesting set of words. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Now what's interesting here is there's a mix of the personal. Simon, Simon, he, he turns and this is a conversation between Jesus and Peter. Locked in, eyes focused, Peter, look. But he speaks in the plural, Satan has demanded to have you. It's a plural pronoun, all of you that he might sift all of you like wheat. So Peter, I'm talking to you. 
about what's going to go on with all of you. It's an endearing term. Simon, Simon, a personal word. The room is empty as far as Jesus is concerned, except for him and Peter. And then he singles Peter out very distinctly in verse 32. I have prayed for you, singular, that your faith, singular, may not fail. I have prayed for you. Simon Satan has demanded to have all of you, the 11 remaining, that he might sift you. I have prayed for you personally, Peter, Simon, that your faith may not fail. All of you sifted. You, Peter, my son, the leader of this apostolic band, I am praying for you. And then he tells them what's going on. It's a remarkable passage because Jesus pulls back the curtain. Unknown to them, there has been a request from Satan to God the Father, apparently, that he might lay hold of these disciples and sift them like wheat. It's, it's, it's the, the idea of Satan and Job. Some, some people would think this is a direct reference to the story of Job. That Satan wants to test them like he tested Job, to sift them like wheat. Sifting is testing. It's a way of discerning true from false. So totally unknown to them at this time, but now revealed, there has been a discussion in the heavenlies where Satan went to the Father and said, I want permission to test these men. Let's see what they're made of. You say they're loyal followers, let's see, just like I did with Job. And Jesus says the purpose of this is to sift them. Now, I've, I've never been a farmer or the son of a farmer. I, I plant flowers in the backyard, so I've never watched sifting, but I've read up on it a little. And from the perspective of the person sifting, it's, it's a pretty reasonable exercise. You know, you, you put the grain in a sieve and you shake it. From the perspective of the grain, it's a pretty painful process. The, the, the grain is being shaken. The, the, the grain is being sifted. The grain is being banged around, having the chaff knocked off. Jesus says, Peter, Peter, Satan has come to shake you all, including you, Peter, with the goal of what he had with Job, to show that your faith is a fraud. And I have prayed for you that your faith not fail. Now, it's, I don't think it's inappropriate in a passage like this to ask, why? Why is this necessary? Why did Jesus give permission to the devil to do this? He he can only do what he's allowed to do is in the book of Job. Well, I think the answer is in verse 33, why he singles out Peter and why he allows this sifting, this testing. Because Peter's response to all this is, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Why was this necessary? Why this sifting? Because Peter had no idea who he was. If, if, 
if, if you had somehow been able to get into a time machine and send a video crew ahead a few hours and video the story of Peter's cowardly denial in the presence of a teenage girl outside the home of Caiaphas around the campfire and you had blacked out his face so he couldn't see who it was. You know how they do that with videos? And then you'd travel back in time and you'd shown it to Peter and said, what kind of a guy would do that? And Peter would say, well, I'd never do that. That's not me. Peter didn't know himself. He doesn't know how weak he is. There's a, there's a preparation of Peter for his role as leader of the apostles that has to take place here. Peter is filled with boasts of great feats. I will be imprisoned and die for you. And as one commentator says, those boasts are perilous because they assume a strength in himself that can only come from Christ. Um, Paul, Paul put it this way, we have this treasure in clay pots. I love that, we have this treasure in clay pots so that the greatness of the power may be seen to be of God and not of us. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul, one of the themes of 2 Corinthians, I think, is Paul showing how God makes it clear that we're clay pots. That's all we are. Or as uh, Howard Hendricks of Dallas Seminary used to say, you and I are brown paper bags. That's all we are. Peter doesn't think he is. He thinks he's a cut above. The other Gospels, he said, though all these deny you, Lord, I will never deny you. He, he engaged in that wonderful exercise of comparison, uh, which we all face as students. Uh, why, why didn't I get the A? I studied as hard as he did. And as pastors, I'm, I'm as good a preacher as he is, but his church is bigger. Com comparison sets in, and we're, we're pretty convinced we're cut above. Peter doesn't know how weak he is. So he's not ready to do what Jesus has called him to do. Uh, Peter Drucker, some of you may know of Peter Drucker, uh, the great management guru uh, of my generation and my father's generation. Um, born and raised in Austria, fled Austria before Hitler came to power, came to the US after London engaged in all kinds of management consulting. All the major Fortune 500 corporations knew Peter Drucker. He has a massive book called Management, 950 pages. I've got my father's copy at home. A number of years ago, my dad said, you need to read this. So I, I was wading through it, and I, I got to this one sentence that I thought, this was worth the wait. Here's what Peter said you need to, this is what Peter Drucker says you need to know when it comes to managing people. People are weak. Some of us are pitifully weak. See, Peter, this Peter, didn't know that yet. He could sing frail children of dust and feeble as frail, but he didn't know it in his own experience. And he needed a taste of his weakness here. Because God wanted to do something in Peter before he did something through Peter. It's a phrase I, I picked up in seminary. Uh, my last year at Western up in Portland, Oregon, many years ago, 35, 36 years ago, um, my wife and I were, I was graduating. We had no idea what the future was. 
Um, I was looking at a PhD possibility, so I was worried about my grades. We wanted to pursue missions, but that door was closing. I was sending out resumes to churches, but everybody wanted somebody with experience, and I had none. Um, money was tight. We were newly married. I wasn't taking care of my wife very well. Uh, we didn't have children on the scene, but that just would have added to the burden, and I became utterly overwhelmed. And I went to one of my mentors at the seminary, a guy named Bruce, um, many years my senior, and I just poured out my heart to him. Told him how anxious I was to get out and serve the Lord and do the things God had called me to do. And he listened to me, and he finally, he finally said, Mark, here's what I would say to you. God is as interested in what he's doing in you as what he'll do through you. He's working things in you before he's working things through you. That, that phrase has come back to my mind hundreds of times since. God is interested in what he's going to do in Peter before he does things through Peter. Because usefulness in God's kingdom, even leadership in the church, does not depend on perfection, on strength, on ability. So it's interesting to, to just back off it one more time. Let's, let's sort of hover around and look at it one more time. What would it have been like if Peter hadn't been sifted as wheat and experienced the incredible weakness of his soul and his fear and his cowardice with tears? What would it have been like for Peter if he hadn't known that? What kind of a shepherd leader would he have been? How good would he have been of caring for the weak sheep in God's flock? I think Peter would have been a pain in the neck. He would have treated people with harshness because he would have thought he was better than they are. And really what they needed was a strong pep talk and a word of admonition, and then they can get with it. There were things Peter had to learn. Um, there were things I've had to learn as a pastor. My, my first year of ministry, uh, Portland, Oregon, I, I was pastor in a church and there was a group of single adults I was responsible for and I would teach them weekly and coming out of seminary, um, I was very confident of my knowledge. I thought what people needed was to get their doctrine straight and then their lives would get better. And I, I approached everything I taught with a little bit of that attitude, actually probably a lot of that attitude, that if people could just get their theology right, we would all be much better. And I did a series of six teachings on prayer where I, I did a lot of correction, a lot of don't think this way, that's stupid, don't, you know, you need to realize this is what God is like, this is how prayer works, the sovereignty of God and our responsibility. And I laid it all out and, and I tore down some things I thought were sacred cows and I offered some very strong biblical teaching on prayer and the character of God. And I, I, thought, I thought I'd served well. And about six months later, a lady named Sharon uh, said, I'd like to come see you. Uh, she was in the group. She was in her early 30s. Um, she said, could I make an appointment? And so we made an appointment. She came in and she said, I, I want to talk to you about your series on prayer. And I'm thinking, oh, good. It really, it really, it really bore some good fruit. She said, I haven't prayed since you taught. Oh. We walked that through for about an hour. God's amazing grace, she became a very good friend. I did her wedding with her husband. 
before she died of cancer three years ago, she and her husband flew down to say goodbye to us. They became very close friends. But I didn't know my weakness, so I couldn't serve her and her weakness. And what I did was harm her because I was not like the high priest of Hebrews 5, able to deal gently with the ignorant and the erring because I was myself surrounded by weakness. God was teaching me my weakness so I could be a faithful shepherd to people. So here's the good news in the passage. Jesus is in charge of the whole process. Peter, Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, but I have, I have prayed for you that your faith not fail. The prevailing intercession of Jesus in the midst of Peter's gross failure is what preserved Peter and prevailed. Jesus prays to the Father for Peter that his faith not fail. He doesn't pray that Peter not fail, but that his faith not fail. Jesus prays for Peter that when he has returned, he will strengthen the brothers and Peter repents. And John 21 records this magnificent, merciful act of Jesus restoring Peter to his apostolic office when Peter had given up. It's a, it's a fabulous picture of restoring grace, wise pastoral care. And now, says Jesus, Peter, now when you've come back, now strengthen your brothers. Now you'll be ready to strengthen your brothers because you will know your weakness and you will have experienced my kindness and grace to you and you can then turn and mirror that to others. So friends, papers and tests are upon you but God is after something greater. Um, through your testing and maybe through some bad grades, and maybe through sleepless nights, and maybe through saying, I'm going to take care of my wife and family, and I'm not going to worry about my grades. Maybe through all of that, what God is really after is bringing you to a place of weakness so that you can cry out to him and experience his kindness and grace to you, which in years to come, when all the grades are forgotten, you will be able to use to serve the people God calls you to, the family God gives you, the children. God gives you. Because God is as interested in what he's doing in us as what he does through us. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you that each of us in our own way can say we have known this kindness and grace that you have shown us, not just in our conversion, but throughout our life as we have discovered and we continue to discover more and more of how weak we are and how strong and faithful our Savior is. I pray for my brothers and sisters here in the midst of finals and papers that they might boast in their weakness, that they might lean heavily into you and trust you uh, and experience your gracious care and keeping and strengthening of them. And from that, they will be equipped to serve your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Copyright 2016, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved.
You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.